Oh, that's a good start to the day. There it is. Hi. In case we say something funny, I like to put it in the beginning of the episode. Punch it, Chewy. That was going to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. <clears throat> Fam, how's your mom and them? Welcome to another episode of Beyond UX Design. I'm Jeremy. If you're new here, welcome to the show. I'm super stoked to have you. And if you haven't done it already, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are regular here and you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would really appreciate you leaving a five star review. Not just five stars, I'm talking about a couple sentences too. Apple loves that stuff. And, and obviously, so do I. That'll help me out way more than you can imagine. And as always, Thanks so much to Siraquan, Stacy, Radu, and Megan for their support. And if you want to join Siraquan, Stacy, Radu, and Megan, that's getting to be a t- that's getting to be a tongue twister there. Then help keep the show independent and ad free. You can become a patron for as little as three dollars a month. And if you do that, you'll get some sweet, sweet perks for your support. And of course, if you think the show is worth sharing, then I would love it if you told some friends. All right, now this week's book recommendation. I actually gave it last week when I talked about the new Audible.com trial. But I'm going to do it again just in case anybody missed it. But Tom Grievers Articulating Design Decisions. If you want to download that book, head on over to beyondUXDesign.com slash audible trial. If you remember, I've partnered with audible.com to get my listeners a free audiobook download by signing up for a 30-day free trial. Get yourself a free book and help out the show in the process. Now, Tom Grievers Articulating Design Decisions, probably one of my favorite UX books of all time. And I love it, especially for junior UX designers who don't have a lot of experience working with uh, stakeholders and things like that. Tom's book is full of information, of things that they just don't teach you in school. You can design the most amazing interface in the world, but if you cannot sell it to stakeholders and convince them to buy into it, it was a waste of time. So head on over to beyondUXdesign.com slash audible trial. Get yourself Tom's book. You'll thank me later. All right, I got that out of the way. I am super excited to have one of my good buddies, Andrew McDonald, on the show today. Uh, where did we meet, Andrew? We met um, some uh, ADP list event years ago. A year ago? Yeah, the like first ADP list design challenge that like VDC crossover. That's right. The Vancouver design. Uh, what is it? Vancouver design check-in. Yeah, uh, and and you're you're friends with them and and uh, Jarrell. Actually, you know, it's funny. I got a, a call with uh, Jarrell in, in a few minutes. I, well, not a few minutes after this. <laughs> I'm calling meeting with him later today. Anyway, so uh, Andrew is mildly existentially obsessive while passionate about inspiring people to do their best. Andrew McDonald likes cooking and cycling. And his nickname is Ferret. He's busy these days building simply complex products for Rumor Avenue's clients and other ventures. Andrew, welcome officially <laughs> to Beyond UX Design, man. It's good to have you. It's my pleasure. <laughs> there it is. The classic, my pleasure. It's good. The pleasure is all mine. Sir, no, it is not. It is mine. No. <laughs> it's honestly really great. Every time you're chatting with you is like just a joy. So to Hell actually yeah, do man. it in a more official, it's just like, ah. what's funny is, yeah. So this is really funny. So we, we started talking about a potential topic, uh, kind of like a month ago. I can't remember. I think we yeah. were posting on one of the same threads on LinkedIn. I can't remember exactly what it was. And you messaged me and you're like, dude, we should chat. So we got on a call and we started talking about it. And I was like, this would make a really great podcast episode. But at the end I was like, we should have just recorded this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like, so even we're, at the start, you were like, hey, we should just record this right now, just in case. I'm like, yeah, sure, you can if you want. And then you were like, nah, fuck it. And then afterwards, yeah. you're like, shit, we should yeah, have I know, right. recorded yeah. that. And now we're gonna now we're gonna try to recreate that conversation. But it's been it's been like a month, I think, since we talked. So I feel like most of the stuff, we both have ADD. Or I, I do. I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure you have ADD. Yeah, we both oh, do. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we've forgotten most of what we talked about before. I'm glad we wrote an outline out though, because uh 
because that's that's something that I want I wanted to be to, fair. Uh, you were like sure. typing up a storm. I saw the keyboards like keys coming up <laughs> and out, out of the bottom of the screen. I'm like, damn, what's going on over there? <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, look, man, you talk, and that's a great thing. That's a good that thing, especially true. when you're when you come on a podcast. <laughs> All right, so before we get into all this stuff, let's let's talk a little bit about you. I want to hear about your background. You've got an interesting backstory. You you made your way into UX in a, a somewhat untra- untraditional uh, path, and I think it's worth kind of diving into that a little bit. Tell us about you, man. How'd you get into uh, UX design? Actually, you know what? The the funniest way that I like starting that story is that I never wanted to come to UX. This was never the plan. Um, I wanted to do architecture and. I quickly realized that like I didn't want to have to go do another four years of school starting at the age of 30. So a lot of work. I'm not going to go do like four, six, eight years, depending on the master's you do. Right. And then you still have to work like another 20 years before anyone pays attention to you. Plus <laughs> all the licensing fees and tests and yeah. everything else. Oh, I mean, to be fair, you get to build some pretty cool shit. That's right? true. Um, if Zaha Hadid was still alive, I would do it just for the opportunity of trying to meet her one day. But nope. Um, so... I was kind of having the whole existential crisis, like, ah, what do I do? Uh, some pretty critical life stuff happened, and I was like, literally at a, like a breaking point, like I have to do something. And my friend was like, "Yo, you should go to this program I went to about UI UX." And I'm like, that, right? <laughs> so I googled it a bit, and I'm like, I did a bit of googling, and it kind of turned into like one of those ADHD rabbit holes. And I was like, holy shit, UX is literally architecture. It's just for software. It's literally version. the yeah, same right. thing. There is no yeah. difference. And it blew yeah. my mind. I was like, okay, now I have to look into this. So I went, ended up going to kind of a, a more of an apprenticeship program than like a boot camp called Red Academy. Uh, unfortunately, the, the program is no longer existent, but I went through the program before and ended up going anywhere negative. And um, it was really cool. We basically had a six month program. I like got taught for three weeks and then I got taught a tiny bit on the side while I built like five or six projects for actual businesses that came in. So it was like way more apprenticey than it was boot campy. And so that was, that was my foot in the door technically. But I started with a really interesting background that like my dad's a tech entrepreneur. So all my dinner table conversations with him were always like, well, what does work like? What is technology? What is business and technology crossover? So I've kind of been mentored my entire adult teenage life. So coming here was more like, I want the language and I can figure it out. And that's basically what happened. I got the language. I got my first role. And it's just been literally flying from there. So That's awesome, man. Yeah, I know so many people that have like an architecture background that have gotten into UX. And I, I want to say, Radu, I was just interviewing him a couple episodes back. He was an architect before getting into UX. I think it was Radu. I can't remember. Yeah, there's like four people in the program over my six months that I was there, which is technically two cohorts worth. All of them were, were architects. They were working registered architects. And they're oh, wow. like, now nah, screw this. And they were crossing over. It was mind boggling. That's crazy, man. Well, somebody, whoever it was, if it wasn't Radu, it was somebody else we were talking about this. You're designing for the physical space. You know, it's the experience of a human in a physical space versus the experience of a, a human in a digital space. And so there's a lot of overlap. Absolutely. Every, every time I think more and more about this, the more and more I'm like, it is the exact same thing, right? Even if you get down to like, oh, well, they work in material science. They have to deal with materials. Yeah, that's called technical architecture for us. It's the same damn thing. You just have to consider it, right? It, the process is so identical. And it just comes down to language differences. Transferable, uh, transferable knowledge skill and skills. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's what 100%. I don't know. I'm not yeah, Institutional words. knowledge obviously <laughs> is less transferable, but uh-huh. like process and skill set, add. Yeah, yeah, for it's sure. Same thing. Yeah. So, so anyway, so we started talking about back then a month or two ago about this idea of UX education and part of the problem <laughs> with what we see today as, you know, people coming into the field that are not prepared for the actual work. 
And you had a, you had this background in sort of a boot camp, sort of an apprenticeship yeah. kind of thing. And so you had an interesting perspective, which is why I wanted to have you on and talk about that. So I want to talk about, you know, UX education today from what you've seen. And you 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 were also, we didn't mention this, but a mentor on ADP list. So you've also talked oh, yeah. with a lot of people as well. And you've seen <laughs> yeah. a lot of the same issues, same problems that I have seen over and over <sighs> and over again, talking to people, same problems, same questions. So talk about that a little bit, if you could, just some of the, oh, some of the things yeah. that you've seen people coming in and some of the problems uh, that you've noticed. On one hand, it's heartbreaking. On the other hand, it's just fucking frustrating, dude. And like, I know you and me have like, we've shared war stories, right? We've gone back a couple of times and like, no, that, that person did not say that. Oh yes, they did. I have the receipts. It's like, oh no. Tying it quickly back to the background, right? Because I came from like, I understood so much of the soft skill, the nuance, the technicalities, but not necessarily the work itself, the actual technical process and work in UI work. To me, all the hard things that people talk about, oh, your soft skills, how do you do stakeholder management? I had those to start with. Right. And then stepping into this was like, oh, I just need to learn how to draw pretty things. <laughs> right. So I came from it from a very different direction, obviously. Right. But even yet still having had all of that, actually, that's not a yet still. It's because having all that knowledge, when people come to me and they don't even use their skills on themselves and their process or their work, I immediately go, what are you doing? So there's a bit of a disconnect for me when I meet most people and they kind of come and they're like, how do you do these things? And I'm like, it's, it, it, it's literally just the way my brain works. I don't know how to tell you how to do Like, I was speaking with some friends, students, and I basically told them, I can't tell you how to do my job. I can't. I won't. It's not possible because it's just how my brain works. So I'm going to tell you how to think. Yeah. And that is pretty much it as soon as you realize how to do that repeatedly. And so like with ADP list, people just come through and it's... This, I mean, people will hear this. They've said this a thousand times, but it's important to say it again. You all look the damn same because you're all doing the same damn thing and you're not actually thinking. You're not doing. You're just, here's my process, my double diamond, right? I did the thing, right? Yes, look at me completing frameworks. No one gives a shit. Why, who are you? Why are you special? Why should anyone care, right? And as soon as you start asking those questions, it... <sighs> pretty quick. <laughs> exactly. And, and one of the things like, I, I can't remember if you, if I shared this story with you, I did post about it on LinkedIn, but I, I mm. did a review portfolio review for one of the boot camps not long ago. They, they invited me to meet with some folks. I met with one of the people that was coming from the boot camp. Mm. And by the way, I asked their permission to share the story and they said it was okay. Yep. So I'm not just sharing this. Uh, I, am, I am removing gender and boot camp and all that stuff just so it's not uh, just white labeling the experience. The fucked up part here, dude, is they were yeah. actually very concerned that they would get in trouble with the boot camp and not actually get their certification. There was actually a fear there, right? And so <sighs> they reviewed this portfolio, this case study with me, and, and the whole idea of this prompt was essentially to increase the amount of time a user spends in the app. Oh, hey, I remember you did tell me about this one. Yeah, go on. This is good, though. The people need to hear this. Yeah, and so the, the whole point of the case study was to imp- increase the time, or the, or the prompt, rather, was to increase the time spent in the app. They did a bunch of research and every single person said, I want to spend less time in this tool. I don't want to spend more time. I want to do what I need to do and get out as fast as possible. And again, thinking about what you're saying, this critical thinking, the thinking. So in this case, they, they actually tried to do this critical thinking. They went back to the instructor and the instructor said, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to follow the prompt and figure out how to get people to spend more time in the tool, essentially. So they did the research, they got the insights, the insights told them that the prompt was wrong and the answer was not to spend more time, but less time. 
They went back to the instructor and the instructor said, do it anyway. And to me, this is the exact thing that you're talking about where they are being taught a process, how to design useless garbage, instead of being taught to think critically about the thing that they are trying to do. In a real world scenario, that app would have been released and no one would use it and it would have been an utter failure. Yeah, it's even giving the tiniest potential caveat of that instructor just trying to be a difficult stakeholder, which we know they weren't trying to do. They were right, exactly. doing their job, which is exactly. like, I'm going to get this out of the way before anyone says this dumb shit because it's dumb, right? But I hear it's this so, so much where it's like, how are you solving for the problem? And they're like, well, I don't have a problem to solve. I have a thing I'm expected to do, right? And I'm like, no, get out. Yeah. <laughs> This actually is the perfect time to get a tie-in. The whole crux of my problem with this is that, that okay, um, caveat emptor, obviously, get that out of the way, blah, 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 buyer beware. Meh, right, okay, said, whatever. It's not, it, it's not enough to prevent this original point, which is the issue is not the individual generally. It's that the schools are lying to you. They're not giving you full skill sets. They're not actually teaching you to be functionally useful in this job. They're teaching you to be glorified graphic designers that printing press out like wireframes based on like poor rationale and usually are like horrific research processes. Like I bet every bootcamp student that comes to me, I'll go, have you read Erica Hall's book yet? Right. Um, just enough research. And they go, what's that book? And I'm like, don't come back until you've read the book straight up. <laughs> like respectfully, just don't. Because if you don't even have the basic fundamentals of understanding the differences of applied slash business research versus like academic research, without honoring what academic research has like given us to do this skill set, you, you can't even do this job properly, right? Yeah. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. And these people think that they're ready, which is like, I appreciate your enthusiasm and I honor the sense that you want to change your life. I want to support you in that. But you've been lied to, straight up. There's a reason people are so vilified against the institutions that you've used. Yeah. And the thing that frustrates me the most here is that could have been an excellent learning opportunity. That could have been like the best learning experience. Yeah. Had that instructor said, well, what do you think we should do? Or what do you think would be the right approach? Or getting, asking them questions to get them to think critically about this thing that they've been assigned. Because in a real world scenario, you will be told by a product team to go build a feature that you know is wrong. That is real life. Oh, 100%. And the ironic thing there is like they, they completely miss the opportunity to turn that into a learning experience, which is so frustrating because the opportunity was there. The opportunity was absolutely there. That's like a golden ticket project too. Like you're just like, that's it, baby. We're good now. It's almost, I mean, I, I almost like hate to do this in like a design challenge, you know, or something in, in an interview process because I hate to like trick somebody on the spot like this. But, you know, this is like a really great way to like, see, does someone think critically? Does someone actually oh, ask the right questions? You know, I'm a dick. I throw curveballs like that all the time. <laughs> it's sort of tricky to do that in a, yeah. in a design, in an interview. But, you know, anyway, so that's my point. You know, and the thing is that like, I think I keep going back to this idea of gatekeepers and comparing it to architecture. Architecture is full of gatekeepers, right? There's licensing oh, yeah. boards. There's tests you have to take. There's fees you have to pay. There's regular, you know, yearly licensing fees you have to keep up with over time or you lose your mm. license. There's you know, um, you have to get hours to before you can even be qualified to sign off on a blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I think about this comparison between architecture and UX, and we talk about how similar it is. But when it comes to entering the field, it couldn't be more different. And you know, I listen to people like Darren Hood all the time who are always accused of being gatekeepers. And his response <laughs> is, why are you making that out to be a bad thing? <laughs> 
why is that bad? Why do you want people who don't know what they're doing into this field? And what that seems to have led to, mm. in my personal perspective, I, I wonder if what your opinion is here. Mm. But what's that? What I see that is is it leads to an influx of people who don't necessarily know what they're doing. Eventually, those people end up leading teams who also don't know what they're doing. They hire people who then don't know what they're doing. And it's this sort of snowball effect, right? And what you end up with is sort of, we're enabling the boot camps. <laughs> yeah. We're enabling them by hiring the people that come out of these programs consistently and constantly over time. We don't, yeah. we don't want to standardize because we don't want gatekeepers and we don't want this stuff, but then we just end up with just this junk. What do you think? There's a big gap there, if you will, essentially in that, like, uh, I actually just came up with the words in my head for it. And it's like imminent danger. Right. Um, you design a house poorly. There's a lot of imminent danger. <laughs> People die. Right. Um, sure. So there's a lot of easy ways to be like, well, we have to standardize this because not every Joe Schblow should be allowed to build his own home. Right. Let's just not have that happen. I would hate to cause a gas explosion in a tight knit environment. That would be kind of problematic. Let's not do that. Right. So there's an imminent danger. But when you tell someone there's imminent danger in designing poor software, people laugh you out of the room. Right. Because, you know, OK, maybe it's. In very small edge cases, there is imminent danger, right? But the majority of time, it's software, right? Nah, no one's going to get hurt, right? Uh, but I don't know. I got I to I keep going because I got a story. I got something. There is, there is like obviously clear examples of like software being extremely damaging and like cataclysmically damaging, right? But I think there's almost the scale of potential impact is infinitely worse though, right? You build a high rise building and it falls down. That's pretty horrific, right? You build a bad piece of software that's like, promoting some form of like un like cognitive bias that's like negatively impacting how people view other groups of people you could be impacting billions of people right yeah. that's horrifying right that's literally like systemically damaging to like the human race at a degree that's mm, right so ironically like i love i love darren hood when he comes up now because i when i first started i was fighting the insecurities of oh i'm a boot camp kid how do i stand out here oh blah 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 and i had all these same fears right Seeing Darren Hood be like, you suck and you don't belong here. It was like, <laughs> okay, man, stab uh, me hard yeah. in the chest. I'm already <laughs> seeping from a wound up here, right? Um, but then I listened to a particular episode of his. I think it was on the Brave UX podcast. Uh -huh. um, and I, I, he, the way, of course, he's saying all the same things. But the way he phrased it at the very end was like, look, me calling you out for not being good enough isn't me saying you don't belong here. It's, it's a call out for you to do better. Right, exactly. And that to me was the minute where I clicked and I was like, he's not telling me to get lost. He's telling me to level up. He's telling right. me to get real, right? Exactly. And that was like, because I'd come here from such an, like, an, ex an existential cry of like, I've got to do something with my life to use my weird neurodivergent brain in some way that's useful, right? That was the moment of like, start showing up, dude, right? Because you've tried to show up, but you're not showing up, right? And that was my wake-up call to be the best that I could. And so- Nowadays, I'm like, go listen to Darren Hood, right? Yeah, it's going to hurt, everybody. but you deserve to hear <laughs> it, right? And I now I'm like, the same thing. I'm 100% behind the guy, right? Yeah, we should standardize, right? And I, I think I put this recently to a bunch of, to another conversation I had that I mentioned to you. It was basically, are we to blame as an industry for where we are? And I think, yeah, there is a degree of that, right? Our refusal to standardize because we want to allow easier barrier to entry is damaging our capacity to be valuable, right? Exactly. And yeah, we should standardize. Do I think we should standardize because it should limit people coming in and out or going? I don't think that's the reason we should standardize, but we should standardize to kill the boot camps, 100%. We need to kill this predatory marketing model that attacks people in like vulnerable places 
and converts them into this idea of you too can work from home and make six figures and never worry about your future ever again and solve complex problems. Oh, by the way, just give us like five mid, low five figures and your life will be different. They don't warn you that this could be a two-year journey after that and you don't get a good job. Like, fuck that bullshit. (laughs) Fuck that. It makes me angry just thinking about it. I'm not necessarily against every boot camp and I don't think every boot camp is doing it it poorly, to be honest. I think there are some some groups out there that are- There was a couple you brought up that I was like, okay, they're moving. Like, even I have to admit, like mine, I technically went to a boot camp, but it was more of an apprenticeship. If we did that- Sure. Fuck yeah. Let's do that. That that's the way in. Yeah. So my my point here isn't to say like every boot camp is bad and we should do it right. with all boot camps. But what I what I would urge, what I would argue, I wouldn't be against. I guess is the best way to do it because I have no I have no <laughs> control over this. But yeah. what I wouldn't be against would be some kind of certification, no different than than a university or a school or a college. Now the thing, the problem is that like it's very expensive to get a four year yeah. degree. And it's very expensive to go to university. The problem is that like, you know, that, that barrier to entry. Now, the thing that I keep going back to, and this is where I like struggle with this is I Mm. believe very strongly, and this is probably the same for architecture as well, that diversity of thought, diversity of background, Uh, diversity in the discipline Mm. is critical. And you've got to figure out how to open that up for underprivileged, underserved communities so that they can get in it. Because UX right now is dominated by a bunch of white dudes. It is. Here we are, a pair of white dudes bitching a about it. A pair of white dudes I, complaining. About, I mean, but the, it's case in point, it's right? It's true, That's, though. Yeah. There are very few people of color minorities in the UX field. I work mm-hmm. with two out of, how many people on my team? 20 or 30, right? And yeah. it's a shame. It's a goddamn shame. It, it's not just a shame. It's a detriment. Like, our, our field is worse for this, right? It is sure, absolutely, absolutely worse for it, right? Nothing I say about wanting to get rid of boot camps is it all to be taken as an... Uh, we need to increase barrier to entry for like lower privileged people, right? If boot camps were actively targeting people that were of lower economic opportunity or had more significant social or cognitive barriers to entering to the field, right? And were attempting to level them up to make them able to get into the industry versus just fleecing the middle class, right? I'd be 100% behind their program, but that's not what they're doing. You know, that, that's a good point because a lot of these programs are fifteen, twenty thousand dollars if not more. They're so not cheap. And They're so 100% that's fleecing not, the know. crap out of these people. So, and you know, I have to be honest, I don't know if what kind of loans are available, student loans, or if they're actually like high interest predatory type loans. I, I finance, I'm not really sure. But. I think this is something important to context, right? Because like I come, so I come from a middle-class family, right? I came from a dad who was a fairly successful tech entrepreneur at one point. For me to take a year off work, living in an apartment and like paying for this boot camp almost cost me $100,000 in the span of a year. Just oh, with like the cost of living, software, cost of classes, living, yeah. everything, paying for like, look, cost of living, et cetera, et cetera, right? It was not cheap, right? And that was a no questions asked, like, let's just do this, signed off on a line of credit, blah, 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 blah. I could not have pulled that off if it wasn't for the economic opportunity my family provides me. So now imagine some poor guy working at McDonald's because that's all he's gotten through his life and he's just desperate to make change for himself and he has great insight that would be like critical for our industry to use to make successful software that's going to help people's lives. How the hell is he supposed to get in here? Yeah, exactly. Right? Throw away his life savings? It's, it's, it's fucked. Yeah. And so, you know, I go back to, to what I said a second ago, and I think about the fact that like <laughs> the boot camps are still, you know, maybe cheaper than university, but they're still not cheap. 
And I, I feel like there's got to be something there. Um, you know, I, I would be interested to see what the sort of makeup, the diversity makeup of, of the architecture industry, at least in the United States might be, mm. you know, or in North America, perhaps. I know that architecture does see a lot of international students come to their programs. So they do have a, de- a degree of diversity. I know there is still an old boys club that kind of runs the show, but like there is far more diversity there than there you would necessarily see in other places. Um, it is one of the few, as I understand it, areas that is a bit less barriered in that way. Or at least that's my perspective. I could be wrong. I'm not really sure. I don't really know. I, know, I do have friends who are architects, but I don't really know that much about the the field itself. But so the thing that I go back to here is, you know, like we're enabling these boot camps, I think, through how, mm-hmm. how we hire, how like the, the standards, not or the lack of standards, I guess, is a better way to say this. Yep. You know, anybody can literally do almost anything at any company. And call themselves a UX designer, product designer, mm-hmm. visual designer, UI designer, UX UI designer, UI UX designer, you know, mm. any, I mean, list them out here, interaction designer. <laughs> and all of those, all those, all those companies, all of those titles could do all the same thing, completely different things, little bits in each of each. And it's impossible to say. So there's no like a standard, which I think ultimately enables the boot camps. Right. And yeah. I kind of, I've been, I, I didn't come up with this analogy, but I heard somebody on LinkedIn or somewhere else maybe, and I've been using it cause I think it's great, but the gold rush in the United States in the, the 1840s, Oh yeah. everybody rushed to California or the West to go dig for gold. And the only people making money were the people selling the pickaxes and the shovels. <laughs> okay. So when you, when you first told me that analogy, it like kicked off my brain and I was like, holy crap, that sounds so accurate. And so I like, listened to a ton of documentaries and read up a bunch about it. And I think it's so dead on, right? It, it, it almost mirrors the bootcamp like reality model of what it is. It's like slews and slews of people come in, right? Everyone gets fleeced all the way along. Maybe 1% actually find success, right? Like actual success where they change their lives. They change other people's lives. It's like significant impact. And everyone else just gets back home screwed or dies. <laughs> How many people like, dying in boot camps today, which is good. That's I don't good. know if people are dying in boot camps. Their souls may be dying. <laughs> their souls are dying. Physically, they're physically it's, they're alive. It, 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 I think the thing that's hidden behind that analogy that's even more critical to it is I think what's one of the reasons that we really came together on this too was to me it's like well what is driving this right and it comes back like what was the root of the gold rush right and it's that that old song back then which is like everyone was working but dad. And as a, an, an early patriarchal system where men were supposed to be the linchpin of society, the, the working man was supposed to be like the entire ethos of every man. But I can only imagine how horrific those men must have felt. Like, I can't even hold a job. Like, my, my, my wife is the one putting food on our table for our children. What the hell, right? Like, that must have been the most crippling self-doubt and valuation. I can't imagine it. And so them to hear the opportunity, to hear the chance to make your life something, right? To have an adventure, which is a really powerful thing too, right? The idea of adventure, the idea of a new frontier and just like a full on exodus of men across the continent. Maybe this is a very Western thing, right? Well, I'm sure there's also stories like this in other parts of the world as well. Mining discovered in another part of China, right? And everyone flooding there for jobs, right? And people chasing hope. Right. And I think that's the thing that I latch on to in the analogy is what is everyone running away from or running to that they're trying to come here? What is what is happening in everyone's day to day life that they're coming here in the first place? And it's not to cast doubt on intention. It's to reflect on 
why are people vulnerable to boot camps? You would think a person who has a career or has like is just looking for a better opportunity would have more rationale to be able to look at and go, wait, so most people do a four-year degree and they're somewhat equipped for the job at best. But you are telling me if I give you five figures, you're going to get me equal to them in six months? Like anyone at that moment be like, how many of you are hiding in that fucking trench coat, right? Like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) No, leave me alone, right? But yet, here we are, and all these people are falling for the same ruse. What's going on, right? And I've been trying to think about that a lot. I've been trying to think, well, how do we solve for that? Or how do we better support those people? And that, that's, that's a whole other, like, that's a whole question in and of itself. But to Seriously. me, it's like, people are coming here for a reason, right? And then you're either running away from something or you're running to something, right? And I don't know what shit is. Like, human beings are far too myriad for me to even dare to, like, find out what the, all those reasons are to document them. But regardless, right, your, your green, grass is greener other hill concept or um, everything is greener compared to where I'm coming from. Okay, both totally valid reasons to change your life. How can we help you do that? And is UX the place to do it is the next question. The thing that I, I, I don't like about ADP list, I, I am on ADP list, obviously, and I talk about- Mixed feelings. <laughs> One of the things that I don't like about ADP list is really just how they, people go about using ADP list, yeah. to be honest. And often I get people that just like, show me how to do this thing, or can you critique my portfolio <laughs> or something like that? And the, it's like impossible to yep. do that without understanding you mm-hmm. and why you're even here asking for help in the first place, right? So generally it's funny because whenever somebody comes in ADP list, I schedule a session. They always like say, I want a portfolio review or help me with a case study. And we never, we never do it. The first session, at least. It's always spend an hour. Why? Why are you here? Why did you get into UX design? What are you trying to achieve? You know, and it's funny because I always hear sort of the same thing. I never really, nobody ever says paycheck, but you know, I often, (laughs) no one ever says says the money, but you know, I I wonder if it's like the Hawthorne effect, like people know that I'm, I'm asking and so they don't want me to judge them or something. Uh, right? So Hawthorne effect, you know, I don't know if that's the Hawthorne effect. Maybe that's a little different when I'm not, you know, they know they're being observed, but I don't, I don't know. Anyway, there's probably some similar cognitive thing there going on, but nobody ever says that. But I often wonder if that's what their, their thing is. Like I hear a lot of stability, um, you know, that, which may or may not mean paycheck. I don't know. But anyway, the, the thing that I ask often is, you know, why are you here? And I get two, two answers. Usually I like solving problems. Uh, I like helping people, uh, or it's something effective. I, I want to be creative or I like the creative yeah. outlet or I want to, I like designing or something to that effect is usually what I hear. Right. And it's funny because when people say I want to solve problems or help people, my first question is, well, why UX? Yeah. Because you can help people and solve problems in any number of industries and professions. I mean, you can help people being a doctor, obviously, I mean, which is, you know, certainly harder and more expensive than getting into UX design. You can help people by being an activist. You can help people by being a social worker. You can help people yeah, like almost How much almost do you volunteer, field. dude, right? Yeah, yeah. And what, but why UX, you know? And helping people and solving problems is certainly something that we do, but that's, you know, no different than a lot of other things. And it's kind of interesting, your question, what are they running to versus what are they running from? And I always mm-hmm. ask that question and I always get just sort of somewhat generic answers. Everybody's got a little bit different answer, obviously, but yeah, you know, those tend to be the answers that I get when I ask that question. I tend to run in that as well. And I mean, so I have, I have, I have this, for every method I've used, I actually use this in client meetings sometimes, depending on the client, obviously, mm-hmm. but I call it the fucks. 
right? And it's like, <laughs> who the fuck are you? What the fuck are you doing? And why should anyone care? Right? Or why, why the fuck should anyone care? What, what answer these things for me, right? Because I'm not going to just... I, I'm literally spiraling through emotions in my head just thinking about it. I'm like, like <laughs> who the fuck are you? Like, who? Who are you? Why should I give a shit about you? Right? What do you even do? Why, why does any of this matter? Right? And then as soon as you start asking those questions, obviously, it kind of, it breaks a lot of the like, I'm here to do good feel things, say good word, do good thing, yay. It's like, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't stand for shit. Sorry. Um, like, give me a good reason. And it kind of comes down to as well is that people kind of there's a gross misunderstanding of what the actual work of doing our work is like. Me doing UI is probably about 5% of my day job. It's this dichotomic almost percentile, right? There's a period of my work where that's what I'm doing like 90% of my workday. I'm sitting here slamming out wireframes, right? But I'm still at like a mid-senior level. Well, actually, it's more because I'm the only person on my team. So I have to do all that work, <laughs> You're everything, right? Man. But if, if I had a junior, I'd be like, you build me the damn frames because I don't want to yeah, do sure, that shit yeah. no more, right? And 90% of the actual hard work that I do is really complex planning, strategy, stakeholder management, and sitting down with engineers and talking about how do we solve this really complex problem. It has very little to do with drawing wireframes. That's the result of all the work I actually do. So when people come to me and go, well, I can draw a pretty frame, I have legitimately told people I don't care. I had one person bring them their portfolio and they're like, it's really beautiful, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, but it's useless. Like <laughs> you straight up haven't done anything useful with any of the problems you've described to me. And your process is archaic at best. So I don't know why you think this is valuable. Do you want to be a graphic designer? And the person's like, no, I want to do UX. And I'm like, so <laughs> we perhaps have a disconnect here because those are different things, right? And coming back to the original point, right, obviously is like, I'm not going to tell someone they can't be here, but I will ask someone, I will question someone, and I will try to ensure that you're here for the right reasons. Because I, I believe this very personally, so this is a very personal, deep thing to myself, but this is one of the few spaces where you legitimately can cause really positive, significant impact in people's lives just by asking good questions. You have the opportunity to be an ethical bulwark in a space that is renowned for its lack of ethics. You have so much capability and potential in this space to do incredible things. But if you're showing up here out of a boot camp thinking like, I'm going to make pretty things and I'm going to make lives better, get the fuck out. You are like <laughs> not ready for what you are about to get stormed with, right? And that's not like, get the fuck out. You don't belong here. It's like, I'm sorry, you've been so horrifically misinformed. Now we need to help you like convert to the reality of what's about to happen to you. And I think there's a lot of people too who come here thinking like, oh, I can just make pretty things. And it's like, but that's not even your job. That's literally <laughs> not your job. Yeah. I mean, unless I hire you to do that exactly. <laughs> yeah, then I might I'm hiring need you. a graphic designer. I might that's need it. you. I might need a visual designer to do that exactly. But at that point, I know that that will solve a problem for me. You know, I know that I need that skill set because I have a problem and a gap and I need it filled. So I will hire you to do that exactly. And I think like one of the yeah, things that frustrates right. me, I, I think the most is it's, I don't want to say pity. Pity is the wrong word, but I feel like a lot of the people that have come out of boot camps are being taken advantage of, which is the whole reason mm -hmm. why I want to talk about this today. It's not to bash yeah. the people that are coming out of boot camps. It's to, again, to get people to think critically, not just about the boot camp that they are about to sign up for, yeah. to hand over a ton of money while they're in the boot camp. When they finish the boot camp, it's imperative to understand that the thinking critical piece is probably the 
the one skill set that is the most important for you to know as a UX designer, and, but it's the one you probably didn't learn in the bootcamp. Yeah. And no, pity again is the wrong word because it's not pity. It's just sympathy, empathy. I don't know how to how to describe the the, the feeling that I feel. I feel sorry. Like, it's like I have empathy. I don't know. Yeah, I get it. It's like so I have empathy for it because I went through it, right? So I know what that feels like. I have a lot of sympathy for like I'm just desperately trying to change my life, right? That's like okay, I get that. That's 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 good. I I like as a human, I applaud that. As a designer, I question it. And then that last part, that the sense of pity is like I I've stopped having pity. For people that go to boot camps, right? The obvious caveat I'm tour first. Like I, in the end, you bought what you bought, right? So you just have to own that responsibility, right? Jocko's concept of ultimate responsibility, I think, actually applies here perfectly. I've got myself in this place. Congratulations. You fucked up, perhaps. What are you gonna do about it? It's all your own fault. Figure out how to solve for it. And that actually would probably be a, a great practice for you in our <laughs> skill set, in our work, in our work case. So like yeah. get used to this, right? But now it's just frustration at like the actual institutions that continue to do this, right? And I think the biggest thing to instill in the people that I feel sorry for, that I feel are under-equipped, is like one of the biggest lies that I see being told to you is that it's just this little window of work. And then you get to show up at a job and do a job like it's a job and you're good to go. You're, you're home free. That is such a filthy, dirty lie. If you actually want to come here and do good work and actually impact people's lives and actually solve hard problems... This is more of a craft. It's an obsession. It's something you think and do, and it's the way you move in the world and look and observe things has to change. And it becomes so practiced that, like, nowadays, I, like, literally can't walk around a store without, like, thinking about the way it's laid out, right? <laughs> yep. Like, mm -hmm. I, it, my brain will not let me not think this way anymore. To be fair, I started this way, so maybe this is my neurodivergent brain talking to neurotypicals and being like, you can't because you can't. Um, but like at the same time, you coming here and just being like, oh, I'm just going to execute a double diamond process and that will solve every single thing I run into is like the, it's, it's so violently wrong. It makes me sick to my stomach. Sometimes you have to come here and like obsess about becoming really good at this and thinking in a completely different way. Maybe the way you think is already completely different. Fantastic. You're on great footing, but now you need to learn how to use that tooling. You need to learn how to use that craft. Right. And that's. That's a lifelong thing. And, and again, just to stress here, because you know a lot of people listening to this episode are junior designers who may be going through boot camps, looking for a job, can't find a job, and are very frustrated. The point of this conversation today is not to kick yourself for signing up for the boot camp or kick yourself for becoming wanting to become a UX designer. Just do that once, okay? Yeah, kick just help once. Maybe, maybe once. <laughs> kick, kick the boot camp if you could kick, if there's like a, a, a physical manifestation <laughs> of the boot camp. Kick that. <laughs> kick, kick the boot camp. And just get your anger out. But but the point is, again, to to just like you said about Darren Hood, it's not to make you regret this decision. It's to make you think critically about the decision that you have made and think critically about the next step and then the path forward from here, knowing yep. that you weren't taught the things you were supposed to have been taught in a perfect world, right? Knowing that you don't have the skills and you didn't get the skills and you paid a bunch of money and that sucks. What are you going to do now? How do you move forward? I don't want to tell you to get out. I want to call you to a higher standard. Right, and then exactly. I want you to reflect about whether you want to do that. Because maybe you came here and you did have a misconception and you have been misinformed. And now you get here and you're like, this isn't what I want to do at all. That's okay too, dude. You're allowed to go, damn, that was a mistake, right? And turn around and walk the other way. There's nothing wrong with that. You're no less of a person for it. And this isn't for everybody. This is fucking weird, hard work to do. Absolutely. It's exhausting. I have some days where I like pass out in my chair on my desk, wake up two hours later. I'm like, God 
damn it, I am going to sleep like <laughs> shit tonight now, right? But this shit happens and it's not for everybody. Don't think poorly of yourself for that, right? That's just a learning opportunity, right? But those of you who do come here and are like, no, I'm going to do this. I want this. This is it. I feel this. Then this is the call to the higher standard, right? It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do now? Right? And no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm, I'm sick of people asking me to tell them what to do. That's not the <laughs> intent here, right? My right. intent is to like, I want you to figure it out. Because if you can figure this out, writing out the story of what that was like is a better piece of work for your portfolio than anything your bootcamp gave you. No questions asked. Well, the interesting thing too there, you just said this, I, I think it's worth highlighting is your job as a UX designer is to figure it out. Like that is your job. Once you get the job, if I tell yes. you exactly what to do to get a job, you can't do this right? job. I mean, this goes like the, you know, the classic teach a man to fish, teach a man to fish or give them a fish. Like I could give you a fish, but, but what are you going to do when the fish is gone? Like, what are you going to do when you get the job? Mm -hmm. I told you exactly what to do to get the job. Now you can't do the job. <laughs> you can't do the job because you weren't prepared to think critically and to actually ask questions and figure it out. And I will be the first to admit that sometimes you get a job, there are things you just don't know. Like you, sh it's not mm -hmm. that like having, it, let's say boot, wave a magic wand and boot camps actually function like they're supposed to. You get a job, you're still not going to know what to do, right? I mean, even if you were completely prepared, there is nothing wrong with getting a job and being over, in over your head. I mean, that pretty much everybody, 100%. especially first time you get a job, you're in over your head. Oh yeah. Until you start doing it and then you get used to it and then you understand like, wait, I actually did know what I was doing. But I think that's something to think about, right? Like, Tell when you go and you, you find a mentor, you find someone you want to be a mentor or whatever, and you ask them what to do, you, you want them to give you a list of things to want to do. To me, what that says is maybe this is not the right field for you. If you're looking for someone to actually lay it out for you and you aren't willing to do the work yourself, what are you doing here? <laughs> what yeah, are you going to do I'm when it comes time to fight against a product manager who is dead set on doing what you know is the wrong thing? Just like that example yeah. before, you know, that I used it's, with the bootcamp uh, case study. What are you going to do? It's uh, it, it's such a perfect example, honestly. Like that 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 story there is just so like it's so picturesque. It's like, it's like a chef kiss. <laughs> like, yep, it's fucked. <laughs> yep, and that's um, what's wrong with the industry today. The industry today. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked last time about the problem with UX education in general is that it's very nebulous. It is not yes. a linear thing. And no. it's very difficult to teach something so nebulous. And so I think what's happened is you get people who are trying to teach a nebulous thing the simplest way they can think, which ends Ugh. up being process-oriented, linear, kind of happy yeah. path teaching of that thing because it's easier to do. And you said something that's really interesting, and I want, I want you to expand on this if you could, but when you said something systemizing the way of thinking poisons it automatically. Oh yeah. That remember was even saying fun. that? <laughs> yeah, I do remember <laughs> well, that. That was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Cause I think that's worth diving into a little bit. Damn. That was really good. Actually. Um, it was it's a good quote. You should make it a meme. So you try to systemize the process to make it repeatable, but the, the inherency of what made that process work was it was non-repeatable. And I think it, it kind of comes back to the original statement of, I can't tell you how to do my job. I can teach you how to think. If I teach you how to do my job as a process, you cannot think because you do not know how to think. You know how to process. And that means that like the system of processizing this has poisoned the well, right? I have prevented you from being able to think because I haven't taught you how to think. I've taught you how to do. But then you don't know how to think. 
And if you don't know how to think, you don't know how to solve. And if you don't know how to solve, you're not fixing the problem. So my attempt, the attempt, if you will, to synthesize the complex process of critical thinking, which is quite literally just what this is, right? If you take it a really simple terms and attempt to distill it to a step-by-step process, you have failed the millions of ways that it can be done. If you have a path through a forest that has no path, but you take a machete and cut the one way you walked, that doesn't mean that's the path through the forest. It's just the path that you walked. There are any other number of ways one could have traversed the forest, right? But you cut a path. If a thousand people walk that path, you get a trail. But what is mother... It's, it, uh, there's actually an interesting analogy here. When you walk through a forest <clears throat> and you walk through a trail, right? Once in a while, you may see some wildlife. But it's usually just a little bit distance off because Mother Nature's like running away from your ass because they're like, oh, humans in my space, get away from me. <laughs> and they're going to kill me. The, the true natural experience is curated, it's changed, it's poisoned, right? It's not the same as it used to be. If you want to have a real experience with nature, you've got to walk a couple kilometers, miles off into the middle of off, F off nowhere. You Canadians and your metric system. To be fair, I measure in feet and then kilometers. So, like, Lord help me. <laughs> Oh God! Um, but like, I interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, following the analogy, right? Just, just trying to s- s- bring that all together, right? Is this curated experience of what people think is now the solution and the process is no longer truly it anymore? It has been so exercised from the reality of where it is that it is now just a plastic artifact, right? It's no longer the truth, and as a result, I think that. There is a degree that you cannot. You can teach frameworks. Those are reasonable because they're small, executable pieces of work, but they're not the work. And everyone has now confused the idea that frameworks are the work. And that's never been true. And any amount of like advertising that it is, is I would say bad faith. You know, this is interesting because tying it back to that, that concept of real world or sorry, physical world versus digital world. We talked a lot about, you know, architecture, building buildings, things like that. And I've been using this example of like a carpenter to think about our work. And uh, yes. you mentioned frameworks taught as a tool versus taught as the work, Yeah. right? So when you think about frameworks as a tool, it's a tool in our toolbox. We talk a lot about having a toolbox. We've got a bunch of tools in the toolbox. The trick is not to know how to use the tool and use that tool the same way every time. The trick is to know what tool to use when it's applicable and what a desired outcome each tool might give you. Yes. So I think about, you know, a carpenter has a bunch of tools that they can use to cut wood. They've got a lathe, they've got a planer, they've got a saw, a jigsaw, a table saw, mm-hmm. whatever, chisel, right? You, you want a rough cut, you use a, a handsaw. You want more precise cuts that can be repeatable over time, use a table saw. You, mm-hmm. want, a, you want some ornate cylindrical shape, use a lathe. You want mm-hmm. a, a trim down a thing, use a, a planer. Right. Right. All of these cut wood, but they give you completely different outcomes when you apply them. And I think the trick is to know, you know, a carpenter is going to know, I need to cut this thing. I need a router. Right. You know, I, I have to use a router here because that is going to give me the effect I want. Could you get the same effect with a handsaw? Probably. You know, but it's going to look, look like, experience. yeah, it's yeah. going to look like mess. And it, yeah. So, you know, the trick is to knowing what you, you could probably cut a piece of wood with, with a router if you tried really hard, oh. <laughs> you know, but it's not the right tool for the job. No, yeah. And if I taught you just, here's a router, here's how you cut wood with it. I'm not teaching you how to think like a carpenter. No, I'm teaching you, know? you how to turn into a robot. 
So I think that just tying that back, I, I wonder if that's like kind of thing. But, so what I guess where I'm going with this is from your perspective, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about architecture, you know, master carpenters, master plumbers, architects. There's a process there to become that and certified that. And I, I can only call myself that if I've done the work, had the hours, gotten the thing. Is there something to take away from those physical builders that we could apply to the digital builders? <laughs> Is there some lesson there to learn? I think probably the biggest lesson, I mean, there's a billion lessons there. Right? And I think some of them are going to be like really beautiful metaphors. I think even just the idea of like, if I teach how to use a router, I haven't taught you how to be a carpenter, right? If I taught you how to use a router, a table saw, a hand sander, and I don't know, a chisel, you're still not a carpenter. Right? If I taught you to use 20 tools, you're still not a carpenter. A carpenter is one who has the craft of carpentry. Right? They think like a carpenter. Right? And how do you get that? Right? And if I was to ask anyone that, how do you think a carpenter becomes a master carpenter? They say, years of experience, practice, doing the work again and again and again. Okay, how do you think a junior person becomes a carpenter? How do you go from junior to apprentice? Well, you get an opportunity to practice. That, to me, I think is the biggest takeaway is that I don't see it as a viable path to come to UX to be taught how to use a couple tools and then expect to be able to do my job. I do see the opportunity to do this through apprenticeship models, right? I think that's like kind of tying it all from like, we can bitch about the problem and be angry about everything and like empathetic to things, <laughs> but like, we're just going to be another podcast of a couple white dudes yeah, bitching about yeah, something yeah. without a solution, right? To me, it comes down to, here's the solution. Find a goddamn mentor, find a master, find someone to apprentice you. And that's going to be really, 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 really hard to do. And it's going to be especially hard to do for people that are not cisgender white dudes. There are a lot of others out there. Uh, I do know I, uh, one of the things I did actively early on in my, um, my career so far has to actively find as many mentors in the other places that I don't have. Right. And now I've got like one-on-one relationships with these people where I can just reach out to them and be like, Hey, the, this weird problem, can I get some help here? Right. Or, Hey, I've thought of this. So, okay. What are your thoughts? Right. And so I think that's the big thing is like finding not just one mentor, but multiple mentors. Right. And a mentor isn't a person you book one session with on IDP list and then put in your profile. Like, Oh, I'm mentored by X. I was X. just going to say that. I, I have told people it. to take that out of their profile. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you met me once for 30 minutes and I told you your portfolio was trash. Get out of here. Get that out. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> get out of here. Like, yeah. don't misrepresent this. This is bad faith. I get you wanting to change your life and desperate to do it and doing anything you think you have to to make it happen. But that's bad. Don't do that shit. That's dishonest. You've got to find mentors and you've got to like do the do the practice of becoming a craftsman. Right? That's 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 I think the biggest thing we can take away from those things is you've got to get taught how to think. And you're not gonna do that through a bootcamp program. A bootcamp program Absolutely. will give you some tools. That's great. But it's not going to teach you how to think. Yeah, the I think that's the thing too. And again, I want I do want to note this. Like we've complained about about a lot of stuff, mostly because yep. it's cathartic. It's cathartic. Oh, to it feels so good. <laughs> Everybody can complain. I don't. I don't do a lot of complaining. I. I well, sorry. I do a lot of complaining. I don't do a lot of complaining on this podcast. <laughs> but it's kind of cathartic <laughs> to complain. But having something, having a solution when you're complaining, mm-hmm. I think is is the differentiator there between yep. just people who bitch and complain and people who actually do stuff. And the the apprenticeship piece is the piece. And you know, you could talk about certifications, you could talk about tests and license and all that stuff. Yep. That still doesn't solve the problem. Hundred percent. No, you know that still doesn't. So that might keep people that don't know what they're doing out, but it won't solve the problem of education and the hands-on experience piece. That to me is the piece that I think the, those physical builders have mastered. Yes. Right. You can go to carpentry school. There are schools. There are trade schools out there. But once you graduate that school, the first thing you will do is become an apprentice and work under somebody. You're not going to lead a team. 
you're not going to go. I mean, you, maybe you could go off and find some random person that doesn't know how to do the work and convince them to pay you to do it. But that doesn't mean you're going to, you're a master yet. doesn't mean you're going to learn. doesn't even mean you're going to learn properly at that point either. Right. right? You exactly. might be learning yeah. to do really bad carpentry. Right. I think it, there's, there's, there's a turn of phrase I use for this, which is us creating barriers to entry is not how we succeed as an industry in solving our problems. Us improving paths to access is how we're going to solve this. There's, there's, there's a difference. I, I find when people like coming back to that word gatekeeping, actually, I hear when people get upset at the word gatekeeping, they're thinking of people putting up barriers to access. But what I've always heard from a lot of the people, like even reflecting on some of the people I had poor experiences with, right? They weren't trying to put barriers to access. They're trying to change the path of access, right? Or they are critical of my path of access. And they were right, right? It was, you aren't fucking ready right now. <laughs> right, you're more ready yeah. than it. Like at le- you're, it's led to believe, right? Especially if I had some conversations with them, they're like, "So, how did you fucking do this boot camp project?" Like, well, it was a biz, a small business that came to the school and they needed this app. They went, "Wait, what? This is real?" Yeah, no, this is a real thing. I dealt with like the the founder. I built him this thing, right? Or I dealt with their like liaison for this project. Like, I, 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 I this is real. This was a real thing with a real problem statement. Right. They go, oh, okay. Well, that's better. That's okay. This is better. Let's talk. But up to that point, right? It's, we're not going to like, we're not going to solve the problem by being like, you don't belong here. You don't know how to do this job. Go away. Putting up all these walls. Right. But us going, look, you want to get here? 100%. I'm into it. I think this is a really key thing to say. UX will be better for other different new minds being here. We need you to come here. It's necessary for us to succeed as an industry to truly be able to impact the world we all want to because we need your brains here. But the path you're walking to get here is a well-worn trail and it's not going to necessarily work. Generally, it doesn't work. Like it truly doesn't. Tech as an industry is capitalism at its finest. It will pick you up, chew you up and spit you out. And that doesn't mean you've done anything good. You've got to change your path of access. You've got to change the route you're taking to get here. And that's, that's the solution here is like, there's things like tech fleet, which I hear are doing like kind of apprenticeship things like that. Nowadays, I was getting really hype about that. But then I had like a meant, I had someone come through ADP list recently. They're like, oh, I went in tech fleet and I did this thing. And I'm like, cool, let me see the work. It's like me and six researchers spent like mm. three weeks on a project. I'm like, okay, never mind, never mind. My opinion <laughs> has changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing about TechFleet, and this is, they're, they're a, um, a D, DOA, dist, uh, oh, decentralized the organization. Things, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're decentralized. So like the way one team might function is not necessarily, which I, I haven't really dived in. So I can't say too much about TechFleet, to be honest. I know they are one of the few teams that are doing an apprenticeship program. I will say that. Yeah, I don't know it well enough to say. I just know that one experience. I'm sure there are growing pains. I'm sure as they go, mm-hmm. they might figure it out. Yeah. I would say it's probably better than nothing. At the end of the day, the it's important better than a thing boot camp. is- <laughs> Yeah. The important thing is to, to work in a real, with a real world problem that yep. is, is more similar to what real life would actually be like, where there are challenges, where the mm-hmm. things don't go like you planned, where something happens and you have to pivot and you have to have a good reason for that change or the thing that you're doing, whatever it is. I mean, you know, there's so many different scenarios that could play out, but it's not a happy path. No. Double diamond, you know, diverge, <laughs> converge, diverge, converge again. Um, you know, that is not the real world. That, again, is a framework you might use in a, in a design thinking sprint or some type, something yeah. like that to just test some stuff. But it's not how you actually build real software, no. at least most of the time. Sometimes it's not it how you solve out. people's problems. That's exactly. just truly not it. All 
All right. So um, we've been talking for a little bit now. You got uh, anything else you want to talk about we didn't get a chance to to cover? We had a giant outline. There's a lot of things in here we didn't cover. but <laughs> Just encapsulate all of it with is that like, if you're listening to this and you're junior or you're new, or even if you're into this, right? And you've been doing the, I'm just here for the money building shit products and you, it, it clicks for you now and you go, holy shit. This is not me telling you to get the fuck out. This is me telling you now's there the you time go. to level up. Now's the time level. to go, okay, never again. Or I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm going to change. This is, this is what I want this to be for you. I don't want this rant from me to sound like someone yelling at people to get away. I'm yelling at people, be better because you can be so incredible here. There can be so much good here and you can truly become like this wickedly powerful like capacity to ch- cause change and do good things and build cool products. But you've got to be the one to change. And that's, that's the big call out. That's the big reach down to lift up is like change, change for your better change for yourself. Even if you just have to, because like you will be a better human for being able to critically think for yourself. That's already like a joy that we need more of in the world these days. But like for our industry, especially right. This is not me trying to push you down. This is me calling you to climb higher. I love it. That would the be more it, the yeah. merrier. Let's, let's get, let's get you in here. And yeah. make sure you're doing it right. I do. I would love to have more people that don't look like me. Because I'm stupid. No. <laughs> you dumb. Uh no, I totally agree, man. I we've uh we've been talking a lot about that on our team at work, actually. You know, how do we diversify? How do we find, you know, like historic black colleges and stuff and try yep. to recruit there? Because they're they're there. There's people that are not cisgendered white dudes out there. And you could call me woke, you want all you want. I oh, don't give a God. shit. Yeah. Um, but like I do strongly believe that having a diverse t- talent on your team, diverse background, you know, regardless, like, you know, it could be the color of your skin. It could be the race, religion, creed, whatever diversity of background, even if it's just, we came from two different places, you know, but having a diverse set of thought on a team only makes you better. And I 100% believe that. So that's awesome. All right. So uh, I've got a series of questions. I like to ask all my guests just to get, you know, help my listeners out there, get to know our guests a little bit better. First question. uh, What is your favorite non-design book? Ooh, shit, that's a good question. Ah, oh, goddamn. I have to like look around my room and look at them. Um, <laughs> Quick, put Favorite non-design book? Lord Brocktree by Brian Jacks. It's an old childhood okay. book from Redwall series. Mwah! All right, what's it about? What, what, what is uh, so it? So uh, the Redwall like series it? is like, you may have seen like there's a TV series about it too and they're like little animals in like medieval worlds and they like the replaced humans with animals. There's like ferrets and mice and squirrels and badgers and stuff and they're like, it's so adorable. But the story is really powerful. It's like, a band of misfits from like all sorts of different walks of life. And like one dude who's like, I'm on my way to my fucking destiny. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where I'm going, but I know I'm supposed to do this thing. And he just gathers all these people with him. And it turns into like a continent spanning war where they end up like saving like everyone from oh, this wow. evil tyrant. And it's like oh, just awesome. this really cool story. I love it so much. Right on, man. Cool. All right. What is your favorite non-design podcast? Ooh, um, I would have normally said, um, the infinite monkey cage with Brian Cox, because like it's, it's Brian Cox, the like really famous physicist. He runs the CERN program, that big collider oh, okay. out in Europe. Yeah, um, but he yeah, has yeah. a podcast where he just sits there with a comedian and it's a hilarious oh, wow. fucking shit show. It is so oh, good. dude, I've never um, heard of it. I have to check it out. So you would have said that, but you got, yeah, one. now I'm obsessed with Huberman labs that I just can't get enough of that. Uh, man. You're not the first person to say that yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago. I can't remember who it was. Somebody mentioned Hooverman Labs, um, and I still have yet to check it out. It's but it sounds awesome. Game changer, I mean, 100%. I mean, yeah, 
cool. All right. What is your favorite meal? And this could be something you have cooked, something you've eaten somewhere. It could be your mom's cooking, your grandma's cooking. Just the best thing you've ever eaten. If we're going for like max, max nostalgia factor, it's my dad's spaghetti. That's it. Dad's spaghetti. There you go. Dad's spaghetti. Right. That's it right there. What made his spaghetti so good? I think it just goes back to the childhood where like we didn't have all the things that kind of people would assume it sounds like I had in my life. There was a point where my families were very, very poor and life was very difficult. And um, the spaghetti was just a thing we always went back to. It was just a meal where it was like, what are we having tonight? Dad, we're having spaghetti. Yes! Noodles and pasta. <laughs> mm, that's some good shit, right? And then I love it just it. turned into all this right? nostalgia thing now where it's like, when I think of spaghetti, I think of like home-cooked meals with my dad. And that's like- Hell yeah, dude. It's all good right, shit. That's perfect. That's an excellent answer. All right, what is your favorite vacation spot? Ooh. Okay, this is this is recency bias, but going to uh, a kite spot on the Baja in Mexico was okay. an l- incredible experience. So cool. So when you when you say kite spot, like kite, it's, it's hyper gentrified. So I kind of like I <laughs> want to not say the name, but I'm pretty sure anyone in the kite surfs will immediately be like, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, you can Google it; you'll figure it out right away too. But if I was to pick a place I really want to keep going back to right now, I still want to go back to Scotland. I really, mm, really okay. want to go back to Scotland. I was there for only a short window. What was your favorite thing about Scotland? That's where my family's from, actually. So ah, I'm, okay. I'm oh, Scottish. Okay. So like, yeah, MacDonald. So like that. And <laughs> there's just like a sense, a very sense of kin, kinny homemanship that I really want to go back to and experience more of. So that's that's the big one I want right to go on. back Do you to. still have family there? I assume there's probably a lot of McDonald's. Uh, it's far <laughs> enough down the family line that it's like, ah, 12th cousin, seventh time removed or something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah. But like, it, we're cool. there. We're the McDonald's. Everyone's family. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, my family, uh, well, my mom's side at least, she's she's uh, Divincenti, the last name. She's oh, from a little town yeah. called Bisaquino in Sicily. And we still have family there and they we keep in touch. Um, cool. I'm friends with, well, I was, I'm not on Facebook anymore. When I wasn't, I say, I say we, my mom yeah. and my sister and them keep in touch. But uh, yeah, they're, it's funny because like they'll be like, yeah, their cousins are posting Italian. I don't know anything they're saying. I'm like, well, they are, they are Italian. Yeah, <laughs> You're posting in Italian. English, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last but not least, what is your favorite design tool that is not Figma? Uh, you know what? It's, I guess it's not a design tool, but I fucking love Otter. Otter.ai is like my godsend. Hmm. Bless that tool. It's design, t- design related. It's yeah, kind of sure. design. If we, if we go for like the more like what people think of design tools as, Miro is the king. Like Miro. Okay. I, I grew yeah, up I like Miro using Miro as like my career. And I still like when it comes down to it and people are like, oh, like we got to talk about something. I'm like, pull up Miro board. Just pull it up right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's yep. do that. Yep. So. Yeah, we uh, being an experienced architect now, I don't really do much design at all. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, quote unquote design. But, uh, you know, I spend most of my days mapping things in Miro. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just random crap, drawing stuff, sketching stuff. And, and now that everybody's remote, it's like a perfect, it's such um, a good tool. you know, substitute for an actual whiteboard <laughs> in a room. Actually, so. the one tool I've started using, thanks to the team I work with at Uber now, is um, Excaladra. It's so lightweight. Oh my God. It's literally Never just a URL. Yeah, no, Excalibur. X, X, E, X, C, X, E, X, like C, A, L. Excalibur, but draw. Yeah. Excalibur, draw. Okay. It's literally just URL. It like generates like localized sessions based on like the ID and then saves them in your cache so you can always go back and get them. And it's just so lightweight to draw super fast. Uh, mm, okay. Oh, uh, so good. And it's something you can share with the team. Is it like a brainstorming Yeah, you just drop the URL thing, like and a, people can live collab and you're all just drawn everywhere. Oh, wow. It's super lightweight. Well, that's really cool. I think that's a big thing. Is like Miro can be a little heavyweight at times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas like Scalager is like in browser, in link, done. Right? And then you can just select everything and export as like PNG or SVG. Oh, wow. And you're like, oh. Yeah, that's really cool. Oh, so good, dude. 
I have to check that out. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, I just learned something new. Good thing I asked. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Where can people find you, connect with you, all that stuff? Uh, if you're new and looking for some help, um, you can book a session with me on AEP list. That's where I keep that access to me helping people. I keep it free as like ADP list is. I don't intend to do anything about that. Uh, if you want to just connect and share thoughts, connect with me on my LinkedIn. Uh, Andrew McDonald is where you can find me there. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I look forward all to right. seeing all the cool people get into our industry and do cool things. Just All right. And if better. you book a session with Andrew, make sure you're prepared to answer who the fuck, what the fuck, why the fuck should I care? There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> <All right. laughs> cool. Well, all right, y'all. That's it for us for today. I hope Andrew and I helped shed a little bit of light on the state of the education today and what some maybe a couple of veterans actually think about boot camps. And again, remember, we're not here to tell you you can't do it. We're here to tell you to, now that you know, change how you think, change what you do. What are you going to do tomorrow that you didn't do yesterday? That's all we really care about. How are you going to be better tomorrow than you were today? That's all, that's all we care about. Let us know what you think on LinkedIn. Shoot us an email at hello at beyondyouxdesign.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you finished a boot camp and you had a good experience, I'd love to hear about it. If you think there's a boot camp out there that that maybe is worth shouting out because you think they did a really good job, apprenticeship program, any of that stuff, I would absolutely love to hear about it. Find me on LinkedIn. Find Andrew. Let us know. And I would be happy to promote them if they're doing good work. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would love it if you left a five-star review. That would help me out more than you can imagine. And if you know somebody who might find any of this stuff useful, for the love of God, share it on your work Slack channel. Share it with your friends. Send Text your mom. I don't care. Let her know. That'd be fantastic if your mom's in the UX, obviously. Uh, if you want to help keep the show independent and ad-free, check out those Patreon sponsorship packages at beyonduxdesign.com support. You can join Sarah Kwan, Stacey, Radu, and Megan by supporting the show for as little as $3 a month. And there are some sweet, sweet perks like that badass holographic Beyond UX design sticker. You can get a shot on the show every week. There's even a package to meet with me for 30 minutes every month. I don't have a lot of those left. So if you're interested, give me a holler. Make sure to head on over to beyonduxdesign.com slash audible trial. Get yourself Tom's book for free. Help out the show in the process. I'd really appreciate that. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and check out all those past episodes at beyonduxdesign.com. I hope you keep coming back for more great UX tips from Beyond UX Design. And until next time, remember, you're more than a designer because there's more to UX and design. I'll see you around. Take care, y'all. Done. You got a heck of an outro, dude. That's really solid, actually. Is that good? I didn't know you had a Patreon either. You're about to get a new Patreon ah, supporter. You have to do that, dude. Don't worry about that. Uh, I don't know how like Dan Carlin and his hardcore history episodes are like five hours long. People, people eat that up, but I don't know. I'm no Dan Carlin. So I guess that's part of the problem.